When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. This is episode number 153. And my name is Henry. And I'm Paul. And uh, here with us uh, after a little hiatus is our friend Jacob Bowers. Hi there. Jacob, it's great to see you, man. Yeah, it's good. We can uh, we can see you this time, as opposed to the last time you were here. Yeah. Well, uh, this week we have a... Oh, Jacob left. <laughs> uh, so this week we have a review of David Fincher's Mank, currently on Netflix. Uh, and then we also have a listener question concerning passion project which of course mank is a passion project for david fincher and so we'll either do that in the review or perhaps right afterwards and you know picks of the week uh who who knows what else could come along thanks for joining us once again guys how you doing it's great to see you yeah great to be here i'm doing pretty well i finished watching mank today uh, I also watched Citizen Kane again today as well. Uh, so I'm feeling pretty good. You know, it was a, honestly, it was a good day for a, a double feature. Yeah. Jacob, how about you, man? Uh, we haven't seen you for a couple weeks. Yeah. Uh, I also watched Mink today <laughs> and just been still just working and staying yeah. at home and, you know, Splitting my time between watching movies, working, playing video games, sleeping. Sure. <laughs> the things that you do when of you course. can't go anywhere. Yeah. Well, cool. Paul, any, anything else going on with you, man, or just same old? No, pretty much same old, you know. Yeah. Watching stuff for this, you know, working, working at the other podcast, same show. No, I mean, I guess it's been honestly pretty uneventful for like a, a little bit now, which is kind of nice. Yeah, just plugging away. I recently watched uh, the re-edit of The Godfather Part 3. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's been it's been pretty quiet. Yeah. Did you change up where you're positioned in your room? Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm on a different side of the table. Yeah, I, I, I was noticing that. I was like, "Hold on, his background is different." Yeah, I got a I got a Revenant poster back there. I mean, the the whole deal. Mm -hmm. The lava lamp—that's my favorite. Yes, the uh, the broken lava lamp that's been there for about oh, two years. No, tragic. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, purely decorative at this point. So uh, yeah, well, uh, guys, uh, not too much else to mention, really. I mean, do you want to get to it? Yeah, sure. Let's cool. do it. All right. Well, let's get into our review of Mank, 
on Netflix, as we said, and we do have a clip this time, so take a listen. Meg, it's Orson Welles. Of course it is. I think it's time we talk. What is it the writer says? Tell the story you know. Make yourself to home, Mr. Mankowitz, or shall I call you Herman? Please, call me Mank. 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 This is Herman Mankowitz, but where to call him Mank? Mankowitz. Herman Mankowitz. New York playwright and drama critic. Turned humble screenwriter, Mr. Hurst. This is a business where the buyer gets nothing for his money but a memory. What he bought still belongs to the man who sold it. All right, well, Mank is directed by David Fincher. It stars Gary Oldman, Amanda Seyfried, Lily Collins, Tom Pelfrey, Arliss Howard, Tuppence Middleton, Monica Gossman, Charles Dance, many others, I, I think. Am I missing anybody big? No, I mean, it's a regular who's who of who's that. Yes. <laughs> and the, uh, the synopsis is 1930s Hollywood is reevaluated through the eyes of scathing social critic and alcoholic screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz as he races to finish the screenplay of Citizen Kane, parentheses 1941. <laughs> so uh, this one uh, has been, as we said, it's a passion project for David Fincher mm-hmm. and it was always meant to be a, a Netflix movie. It's not one that was, you know, scheduled for theaters and then got moved to Netflix. Jacob, you got a cat there. That's cool. Yep. And yeah, well, guys, who who wants to kick things off? As always, I, I say that we uh, go ahead with Jacob. Jacob? Oh, well, I was going to say we should go ahead with Paul. Okay. Well, you know what? <laughs> Why not? You guys. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. So. I, first off, I really enjoyed it. I thought that it was great. I very much enjoyed watching it. Uh, he really nailed the, you know, the sort of visual aesthetic of watching an older film with a few exceptions of like some shots that I was like, mm, that's not right. That's, that's a, that's a modern camera move. But, uh, with few exceptions, I thought that he nailed the, the visual look. I very much enjoyed it. I thought that it had a good message. I thought that it was well acted. Um, I thought that, you know, it was, it was typical David Fincher doing what, what David Fincher does best, which is ultimately at the end of the day, still doing an examination of, uh, sociopathy, you know, and, um, the psychopathic mind in a way, you know, because I think that even though he was doing it from the, from the sort of perspective of Mank, who was psychotically destroying himself, while critiquing a man who was sort of psychotically destroying the world, I guess, as far as he was concerned. But I thought that it was really well done. Do I think that it's one that will be remembered beyond, like, film people who love film? I don't know. But I think that it'll be remembered because David Fincher did it, and David Fincher will be remembered. Hmm. Well, now, how does this rank up with other Fincher films? Honestly, for me, pretty high, but maybe that's just because I just really enjoyed my day surrounding, I guess, my my watching of Mank and my watching of Citizen Kane and kind of, you know, 
doing a dive into research on on William Randolph Hearst and 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 Mankiewicz and and that kind of thing. So maybe I'm just a little bit colored by my research dive, but I very much enjoyed it. And I think that as far as especially his films that like aren't about direct murderers, this is definitely one of the better ones. Sure. <laughs> uh, Jacob, my friend, what about you? Yeah, like I said, I also watched it today. I had heard the name of the movie a couple of times over the past year, I guess. Or um, it, I knew absolutely nothing about it for some reason. Up until today, when I looked up where I could watch it, I didn't. I thought it was a Ben Wheatley movie. Mm. I don't know why. I because um, I know he's got something coming, and I was like, oh, this must be that Ben Wheatley movie. And I was like, oh, it's David Fincher movie. I didn't know he was making a new movie. Uh, so I found that out. I also had no idea what it was about, uh, and I was a little bit into it before I realized what it was about. And then I sort of paused and looked a few things up just for some background, and I was like, oh, this is a movie about the screenwriter of Citizen Kane. I was like, that sort of can contextualize it a little bit more for me, and then I went and finished the movie. It's uh, I think David Fincher kind of has this ability to make you care about whatever he puts in front of you so even when it felt dry or like maybe meandering a little bit i was still like you know the like david fincher is still making me care about what i'm seeing and i'm still sort of magnetized to the screen because i just think like i don't think there's a david fincher movie i've seen that i've not enjoyed there are certainly ones that are better than others but i think he's just a master at saying take this, you know, box on a table and I'm going to film it in such a way and give it a certain emotion that you're going to care about something that's happening. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that was sort of the case here that, uh, you kind of had to, you know, it wasn't like a exciting action movie or anything it was like a psychological profile and you kind of have to be in the right mood to watch that and you kind of have to be willing to exercise your brain when you're watching a movie like that and i i kind of felt like you know the exact opposite of the last movie we all reviewed together (laughs) i had to sit there and think about what i was watching you know instead of just letting it together pass over me happiest season season. oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) so yeah and of course, Gary Oldman, I love him. Amanda Seyfried was really good in this. I liked the the black and white. wasn't quite as good as you know going to a theater and seeing it in black and white. Uh, Netflix kind of has that fake looking black and white. Yeah, but it's always good to see a black and white movie. And yeah, nothing but good things to say about Fincher's direction. But yeah, you know that that's that's pretty much encapsulates my opinion for now. I'll let you take it away, Henry, and then if I have, you know, something to add, I'll I'll add it. All right. Uh yeah, well, as I've said on on the show before, David Fincher is my favorite director, and so I was looking forward to this, especially since this was his first movie since Gone Girl. He had done Mindhunter, but this was, you know, it had been a bit of a a break from movies, and so I was definitely excited, but also when I heard about it, I thought of all the like David Fincher stories that he could tell. I didn't get 
much interest from this one I, or I didn't think that's the one I would choose for him. I mean, I would like to see the dragon tattoo sequel first, but you know, that's yeah, whatever. Never uh, going to happen. That's what I that know. Is. I know. <laughs> I, I mean, I, we were going to get the whole trilogy, but anyways, different discussion. Uh, and so I think as you guys were saying, I think the craft of it is undeniably great. It's so well directed. It looks incredible. The score by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross is amazing. One of their best. The acting, uh, Jacob, as you said, very good. Although I, I do find that I think, and it seems to be a, a fairly general consensus, but I just did not think there was a whole lot of heart in it. I get that it's a passion project and we can maybe get to this later on, but it seems like oftentimes a passion project for a director won't always come through and hit the same way for an audience as it does for them. And so that was my main issue with it. And I, I do find that if I, I had to say it's probably my least favorite David Fincher movie since Benjamin Button. I would give Social Network, Dragon Tattoo, Zodiac, and Gone Girl fives or four and a halves. And I mean, I still like this one a fair bit, but it's probably the least least effective for me from him in a while. But it's so well, it's so detailed, like the sound design, even like the how people speak, the kind of scratchy echo like harkens back to, you know, 1940s, 1950s films. It is, you know, just like the meticulous lighting. Like there's a scene maybe 30 minutes in where there's this auditorium like seating shot of or of people sitting in every single person in every single position is so meticulous and it looks amazing. And so even things like that was just amazing to see because that's not a skill that comes out very often and but no i uh, overall overall i liked it but i think it's it's lesser fincher for me well i guess this is kind of a rare case where i get to be a little bit effusive comparatively yeah so you know i didn't just do a little bit of research um so i cracked out my old film history textbook written oh, by wow. the professor of the class, David A. Cook. This is the fourth wow. edition. There's a fifth edition out. This bad boy's around 1,100 pages. <laughs> and there is an entire chapter dedicated just to Citizen Kane. Uh, and okay. so I cracked out this bad boy. I cracked out my history of the Coens thing. I went deep. Like, I had uh, an absolute blast. That's good. And I think that the the heart of the film is in kind of almost the same kind of journey as a Kane figure, right? It's a journey almost downward. Uh, and it has this almost happy-ish kind of ending, but much like William Randolph Hearst, much like Orson Welles, much like Mankiewicz himself, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a journey down. You know, after a lot of early success and a lot of people thinking that great things were going to come, Ultimately, nothing came from that life, and it was crushed by the machinations of of men, you know, of people. And uh, it, ultimately, I think it's also meant to be a cautionary tale, right? Because at the core of the film, it's a message about the modern studio system and about its connection to politics and about its connection to power in a very real way. 
And so I think that maybe it might not have the the kind of instant, fascinating, charismatic pull of of Jesse Eisenberg in something like a social network, you know, or the or the perpetual mystery of a zodiac. Instead, you really, I think, have to, for this film, you have to dig deep. You have to be steeped kind of in a lot of knowledge. But that does bring around a point of criticism of the film, which is that I just pulled out a massive fucking textbook and another textbook, and I watched a second film, and I looked things up online, and that ended up creating this incredible kind of narrative journey across the lives of multiple men in real life and in fiction. And then I was really enjoying the whole thing. And like, don't get me wrong, I liked the movie beforehand, but it wasn't until I felt really like I had a good grip on the history that I felt like I really loved the movie. And that is a fatal flaw of the film. Yeah. Yeah, and I I, I agree with that totally. I There are so many, you know, so many people injected into the movie and so, you know, so many characters and so many different locations that harken back to, you know, that film and, and classic Hollywood, which I love most of the time. However, watching it in one sitting, it wasn't enough to keep me captivated, you know, mm-hmm. whereas there are other, you know, other Fincher films like, you know, Dragon Tattoo, Social Network, Zodiac, that whether it was the world or the character, it had me much more engaged right from the beginning. And I think for whatever reason, it didn't do that with Mank. And and also, I'll say, I think while I get COVID and, and everything, I think having it released on Netflix was the worst choice. This should have been a theater movie. I would have happily waited another year to see this if I got to see it in a theater instead. Like the sound design, the world itself, I think it, I would have enjoyed it so much more if I got to see it on a big screen. But of course, that's a purely personal thing. But no, I, I agree with you. You totally, Paul. Jacob, uh, any any counterpoints? You know, I, I generally find passion projects to be a lot like jazz. Like they tend to be <laughs> they tend to be films that are made by directors for other directors or other people that like, you know, have a background knowledge to, to sort of care about, you know, what's happening. You know, not everyone has seen Citizen Kane. Not everyone knows why that movie is important. No, not everyone knows what that movie means to film culture and film history and what it has led to and how, if we didn't have that movie, there'd be so many things that we don't have, you know, people that are, Film history buffs, people that are, you know, learning to become a director or a writer, people that are sort of like entrenched in that world, they're probably going to enjoy a director's passion project more than the casual viewer. And it's like Paul said, taking all this time to be enriched by the history behind the film leads to a more enjoyable experience. That's obviously not something every single viewer is going to think to do or have the time to do. And I think, yeah, that's where the problems for passion projects come in. And that's why I think passion projects a lot of the time wind up maybe not making as much money as the director's other films or not many people are going to see it, but like, that's okay. 
like David Fincher got this out. He wanted to do it. I'm sure he doesn't care if this doesn't become as profitable or as amazing or as beloved as his other movies, because it's something he is passionate about. And that's, uh, that's kind of the core of what I, of what I was seeing here is that, is that a movie like this is made for people like us. It's not made for, you know, my sister or my mother or someone that just doesn't really think in this along the same lines as people like us do. No, yeah. for, sh- for sure. Oh, no, go, go ahead, Paul. I was, I watched, so I watched it with uh, Lauren, my wife, and she has never seen Citizen Kane. She, you know, doesn't know movie history the way that, that we know movie history. And so like, it wasn't until she and I sort of sat down and, and really started getting into it that she was like, Oh, okay. Now this more makes sense. And like, she was still invested in the journey. You know, she still thought that the characters were interesting, that the narrative was engaging, but most of the stuff about like what he was writing, what he was doing was completely going over her head because, you know, ultimately this movie is kind of talking about, you know, the guy who's writing Facebook, but the problem is no one, as Jacob, you know, pointed out, knows that Citizen Kane is the fucking Facebook of, of modern cinema. Um, and no one knows that, you know, Mankiewicz before he did Citizen Kane was also one of the many ghost writers of, of Wizard of Oz. So, no, that's absolutely, it's a good point, but from an outsider perspective, I will say this, at least Fincher did do a good enough job of, I guess, writing the dialogue and staging the scenes well enough that even someone who had a baseline of zero was able to be like, this is interesting. I don't know why I should care, but I am interested. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that brings me back to the the, you know, the point I made about David Fincher just having this unique ability to make anyone care about anything. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, and I, I I agree with that totally. I, I there were scenes that I was like, it was so immersive, and I was just so amazed by the amount of detail and I guess the homages and and callbacks to that world. And I, coming from Fincher, I know he cares about it so much, and I know he's so knowledgeable. It's just that there were scenes like that that would be incredible. And then the next, I, f- I would find myself kind of phasing out a little bit. And so it was a little inconsistent for me in that way. However, even all that, that negative stuff aside, like Gary Oldman, incredible. I mean, the whole cast really is, is solid. And in terms of how David Fincher is able to handle a lot of information, there are scenes where, you know, there's probably maybe 10, 12 people talking to each other in different ways, you know, one person to another, sometimes a few people at once and how he handles that through writing and editing is incredible. And Mm -hmm. it's just a a master of control that very few other directors have and that he's able to do very well. Like, uh, like in Zodiac, there's so much information being thrown at you, but you really almost never feel overwhelmed by it. And it's the same thing with, uh, the social network, like, you know, those montages of like five or six different, storylines going at once you understand it totally mm-hmm. and so i think he carries that into this movie as well uh it's just that you know uh, other things i've already said you know heard it a little bit yeah no um, absolutely ultimately i i really really enjoy it i think that it still fits into his his ultimate you know filmography which is you know a lot of stories of of 
psychopaths of, of sociopaths, but more importantly, of a lot of, um, damaged men of a lot of bad fathers. And I think that if you really dig deep into this film, it, it has a really solid, a solid cautionary tale kind of message, not unlike social network, but it is a little isolating. And, and that is probably its greatest weakness. But ultimately, I, I quite like it. It's a story not unlike most of what Orson Welles wrote about, which again, you know, is, is pretty much all of his films are, are downward story arcs, you know, Macbeth, uh, Touch of Evil, The Lady from Shanghai. Like all of his films are all, you know, about people who attain something and then lose it and squander it and fail and fall apart and and are unmade by their mistakes. And so I think that in a weird way he did, you know, an almost I'm sure that this is something Jeff Adams would love. Yes. And for that reason it is a little bit of a problem for the general public. Yeah. Mhm. <laughs> yeah, I mean and there are other films in this territory like Hail Caesar is, you know, not not totally the same thing, but I I love that film and maybe that's more so just cuz it's a, a light comedy whereas this one is more serious, but as we've said, I mean the 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 film history aspect of it is fascinating and I think that on rewatch it will go up because of that cuz you yeah. know you're the the more like basically what you put into it is what you're going to get from it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if you do the research, you will get more out of it. Whereas if it's just a casual viewing, probably not going to like it that much as the majority of people that I've talked to who have seen it have, have told me. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Guys, anything, anything else big about it? Watch it with Citizen Kane if you can. I mean, I know that that's like a really big thing, but like, you know, it's, it's like four hours of your day, but, but if once. you, yeah, you know, if you have the time by happenstance, I'd watch both of them together, almost kind of like watching Apocalypse Now with Hearts of Darkness. You know, mm -hmm. I think that it's, or um, another good example would be uh, watching Nosferatu with Shadow of the Vampire. Mm -hmm. Great, you know, sort of two stories that inform each other really, really well and create an interesting narrative of of two different generations of filmmaking as well yeah and uh and and one more time the uh the trent reznor and atticus ross score is so good like it it shows that they can do more than just eerie like ambient electronic sounds like it's yeah. it's a fantastic score yeah uh jacob anything else for you man how, now how does this rank for you with fincher it's probably somewhere in the middle if I'm looking at his entire filmography. Yeah. Are, are you generally a fan of his films? Like, I mean, do you like them more often than not? Yeah. Yeah. I, he's up there. He's one of my favorites. Um, yeah. There's only one movie I haven't seen and it's gone girl. And I've been meaning to get around to it for the longest time, but I uh, just haven't. But um, yeah, I, I even have it on Blu-ray around here somewhere. <laughs> just need to watch it. Nice. All right, uh, Paul, any, any last things for you? No, I think I'm all right. Do we want to rate this bad boy? Let's do it. All right. Jacob, since I started with uh, my opinions, why don't you take it away with uh, your ranking or your, your grade? Well, I don't know. This one was actually kind of tricky. Normally, 
by the end of a movie, I don't really don't have to think about it that much. I'm just like, you know, there's the rating. But for this, I had Toss to put a fair bit of thought into it. And I, I think I, I came to a, a 4.5 out of 5. Because I think I enjoyed it enough for it to be that high. But it wasn't like an instant 5 for me or anything. But it also was like, even when I was like, oh, maybe I want to rate this a 3. I mean, like, it was crafted so highly. And it was... um you know, such a good movie for someone who's invested in the history and the, you know, what it's actually talking about that I was like, I got to put it, put it up there, you know, just for yeah. me personally. So yeah, 4.5. Yeah. This is, this is better than Scoob for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Paul. Uh, honestly. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm going to go 4.5 for me. Four for someone who may not know what's going on, but is just willing to try. Uh, and it's honestly probably like a hard two for anyone who just doesn't know anything and just kind of puts this on for the fuck of it. Like yes. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But for me, it's an honest four point five. All right, I'll go. I'll go light four. Yeah, it's. And, you know, could go up or down on rewatch. Who knows? Well, whatever. You like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. So. I do. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Uh, I was, but, um, are we not all fans of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo here? No? Oh, Paul. We'll have to get to that some, sometime. <laughs> that's, that's for another day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Well, and the thing is, I think in terms of, like, the viewership, I, I don't think it was ever on the top 10 of netflix like i no. I, was, I was thinking it would be like because it was fincher that it would be there but it, it never i don't think it ever got there yeah How long has i it don't think it's been out even it's only been out a couple weeks but you know oh who knows okay. but i mean for god's sakes you can sneeze and end up on the top 10 of netflix so the fact yeah. that mank hasn't even crept up there with a you know gary oldman being attached tells you a lot yeah, yeah i think i was looking at um their Twitter the other day and they were, they were putting out their top 10 and I know like the Queen's Gambit was on there, which by the way is fucking phenomenal. Oh yeah. Everyone should watch it. But um, I just saw that like some kids movie or something like, like some Brazilian kids movie. It's like Coco Melon or something was like number two. (laughs) I was like, how does this even happen? So many parents out there just letting their kids, they put on some kids movie or something and then it shoots up into the, top three on netflix yeah. i guess well i think uh that ava or is it is it ava that jessica chastain movie that spy film i think that's number one right now somehow mm. you know how yeah <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah well cool well with the review done i guess we can get on to the listener question unless there's any any big news pieces you guys want to touch on the I guess the decision that Warner Bros made. Oh yeah, it? oh yeah, we, we were know. talking about that last Recently? week with the uh, the theater. Yeah, yeah, the HBO Max one yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be a. I mean, it's only getting. I guess it's only getting more heated now. People are just. I mean, Denis Villeneuve came out. He was pissed. Yeah, I misread the title of the article if or like it was like sort of clickbaity or whatever i thought it meant that they're taking their entire 2021 slate and releasing it on the same day on hbo max and in theaters and i was like how's that gonna work oh, they, well, <laughs> they like, are no but because it's gonna be no he meant, con- he meant he meant 
he didn't understand that it was day and date with the theatrical release. He thought that they were taking yeah. the entirety of the year's catalog and dropping all of it on a single day. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. No, let's let's do that. Because <laughs> there were so many articles Honestly, that made it, it seem not? Yeah. that made it seem like that was happening. They were oh, phrased gotcha. so weirdly, and I was like, you know, because it was like. Warner Bros. is releasing all of their movies on HBO Max and theaters on the same day. And I was like, what? Oh, I see. Okay, you know, gotcha. so, but, but I understood in the end. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, I, yeah, I guess we can get to our listener question. So the film buds podcast at gmail.com is where you can reach us at also Facebook, tw- Twitter, and Instagram at film buds. I think. Yeah. Film buds. Sounds right. Uh, and so, yeah, please, if you're a, a new listener or if you've been listening for a while, please send us any questions, comments, greetings. You know, we we love hearing from from you out there. So this one comes from Mandy in Charleston. So not too far away from us. Disappointing. Yes. <laughs> uh, they say, uh, hi, Henry and Paul. Uh, sorry, Jacob. They they, no, they mentioned fun. you. Fuck you, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Uh, so, all right. So they say, with your review of Mank, do you find that most quote unquote passion projects turn out well for audiences? I.e., Martin Scorsese's Silence, Vin Diesel's The Last The Last Witch Hunter, basically the same film. Terry Gilliam's The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, etc. Love the podcast. But wasn't Thanks, the Mandy. Irishman also like a passion project? Yeah. Yeah. Right there. More so say, the last witch hunter, but <laughs> I would say no. I, I think that, you know, as I as I explained before, I think passion projects are either something that directors are making for other directors or something that they're just like, this is my thing. I don't care whether you like it or not. This is my thing. And, you know, I, f- I feel like, you know, what I just said, like the Irishman, I feel like that definitely happened with the Irishman where Scorsese was like, I'm making a four hour movie, whatever, you know, fuck it. Like, this is this is my thing. This is what I've been wanting to do for years. And then people were like, that's terrible. And then he was just like, well, here it is. You know, I love it. And so I think I think, no, I don't think passion projects generally have the audience in mind, you know, sure. but maybe Paul? one of you thinks differently. You know, I think that it's hard to. First off, every film should be a passion project, but that's beside the point. (laughs) Second of all, no, every film that you're making should be something that you care about. If you don't care about it in some kind of way, that's the reason that it's crap, and then you're the reason to blame. But I think that there are incredible passion projects out there. Schindler's List is an incredible passion project of a film. Citizen Kane was, for all intents and purposes, a passion project. Malcolm X was a passion project. So I think that passion projects are just like ultimately any genre of film. They can work or they can't. It's, it's ultimately dependent on what the topic is. And it, it is ultimately even more than the topic. It's, it all boils down to execution. And so if you have all of the passion, but you just absolutely fucking do not cook that souffle correctly. It doesn't matter how passionate you were. It's going to be a shitty souffle. But if you're yeah. passionate as hell and you manage to nail it, then yeah, it's it's a great masterpiece and and it's remembered as such. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and with like Martin Scorsese, like even more so than The Irishman, Silence as 
Mandy mentioned, like that was something he had been trying to get made for, I don't know, 20, 30 years, something like that. And I agree it, it as with a lot of things like this, it does come down to execution. And some of it can just be with how people receive it can be how long you've been around. You know, yeah. if it's someone who has made, you know, 20 years of great films, I mean, go for it. Uh, you know, make the film you want to make. I mean, you've deserved it at that point. So, so I think sometimes in terms of how people receive it and how they view it, it is, uh, I think, the level and res- uh, and respect you have in Hollywood or, you know, wherever mm-hmm. it is. And I think that's a, a big factor. I would say it's hard to judge how many passion projects have failed and how many others succeeded because, Paul, as you said, you know, there are plenty of films that directors love that never get mentioned, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's kind of hard to say, no, that's not a passion project. I mean, obviously everything Michael Bay does is a passion project. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, and it's, I guess it's also a question of, of what is a passion project, you know, because, you know, if it's, if it's just duration of time, well, you know, Quentin Tarantino had the, the script for Inglorious Bastards back when he was working on Pulp Fiction. You know, that's when he was right. churning out drafts of that one. So if it's just a question of time, well, that opens up the door, I'm sure, for any number of films that have just been stuck in development hell. So, I don't know. Passion passion is a vague question, and I think that passion should always be present in artistry because that's where artistry actually happens, is within passion and and use of self and, and use of, of what you know to create something special. Yeah. And yeah, it's like... Oh, no, go ahead, Jacob. But you, what you said, Henry, about like having a certain amount of prestige sort of like allowing you to just, you know, be like, go for it, make whatever you want. Don't think about the audience. Don't think about the money, you know, just do your thing. Um, yeah, I, I think it's hard to say how successful you would be if you were a director and you were putting out something like Mank or The Irishman as like your first movie ever. You know, that would be, um, first of all, it'd be like, where did you get the money? But second of all, uh, you know, yeah, like it, 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 so it would be hard to say like, like how, you know, how successful would you be with that? Because I mean, I haven't looked at any hard numbers. I don't know how successful something like silence or the Irishman or Mank really was, um, in terms of profitability or audience critique, but I definitely think being prestigious helps with getting those things made. Cause when you're just starting out, you kind of have to make a name for yourself before you can really put something like that out. Unless you have a lot of money, like Xavier Dolan, then you can just do whatever the hell you want. Sure. Because you have tons of money already. But yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm rambling. But anyways, you get the picture. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, you can get away with creating something incredible that an audience can react to where it is a untested artist in that medium with total control. I mean, it's certainly it, get out was a passion project. I mean, it's a case by case basis scenario. And so I think that they certainly can be good for the audience. Again, I just think Passion is a, is a vague term. Yeah, uh, like, and as, go ahead. 
as far as as far as young people who you know got to make a passion project that they got away with where they had complete control as a as a little fun sidestep citizen kane uh and largely the reason that it was unsuccessful wasn't actually because of the the lack of the quality of the film but it was because of the ex- very very pointed efforts of people like Louis B Mayer and William Randolph Hearst to make the film ultimately unexhibitable uh right. that led to its failure just as a little fun film history sidestep but he was like sure. 24 25 when he made that film crazy Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's what that's why filmmaking will never be an objective art. It's it's so incredibly subjective because it's like you know what makes a director. You know, some some went to school, some didn't go to school. You can make something. You, you can make an, an Oscar nominated or festival award winning movie on an iPhone. You can you know knock a screenplay out of the park on your first try. I mean, it's like, it's so subjective. You don't, you don't need a certain amount of money to do this. You don't need a certain amount of prestige to do this. I know, I know maybe that's a little bit contrary to what I was saying before, but I think, you know, thinking about it more, it's just, it's all incredibly subjective, Mm -hmm. you know, and it always will be. It's a lot of just how much passion you're putting into it. Are you in the right place at the right time? Are you making, your thing at the right point in history, you know, it's just like lots of things that have to come together in, in filmmaking and in all art, but mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Passion is subjective. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And like talking about like directors, like Tim Burton was really young when he did like Beetlejuice and, uh, and those early films and same thing with Spielberg. I mean, he made jaws when he was like in his mid twenties, I think. Yeah. Wes um, Anderson. And- Wes Anderson, young guy, Kevin Smith, yeah. young man, uh, Quentin Tarantino, young man. I mean, yeah. uh, Steven Spielberg was a part of the group known as like, you know, the film school brats. It was him and George Lucas and Brian De Palma and Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. And all young men. Yeah, exactly. And I, so I think again, passion is like, you know, those films are full of passion because, you know, they were just starting out and they were going to do their absolute best and not to say that they aren't doing that now or trying to, but I, I maybe, I guess maybe the, the commentary is more so like when there have been these recent projects and they say, Oh, it's a passion project for David Fincher or it's a passion project. And there's, it's more of a news piece than just a, a you know, a personal feeling. And so, Passion Project, now that you mention that, honestly kind of ends up being used in the same kind of way that, like, Method Actor gets used. It's this kind of weird ego inflating, we're creating prestige, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, oh, was this person actually method acting? Is this actually a passion project? Or was this an exercise in ego? Mm-hmm. And maybe yeah. that's what makes or breaks the the passion project. Is it actually a passion project or is it an exercise in ego? I right. think uh, I think I've talked about that on the podcast before. I, I I'm very I have a very strong opinion about method acting. I think that if you're method acting, you're a bad actor. Mm. That's my uh, you know I think that's a hot take maybe, but um, I think that if you have to method act, you know I mean that that's completely contrary to what acting is. My wife studied acting, and she's not necessarily a method 
actor and she's not necessarily a fan herself so you're you're not alone (laughs) yeah yeah you at least have one more all right yeah yeah well uh anything else in particular about this this topic no and by the way mandy is that right um uh yes Mandy. mandy the boo was not about where your location is, Charleston's fine. Uh, it's more just, I'm still waiting for someone to, to message us from one of these far off countries that apparently we have listeners. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm waiting for some coward in Berlin to finally, you know, find the courage and, and email the film buds. I don't know if we're in Berlin or not, but yeah, probably one day. Was the, what was the country we were very popular in? Well, I mean, we were popular. I mean, Jacob, I don't know if you're on the on the show for this, but we've we've been downloaded in 69 countries since we started Film wow. Buds. I think the highest one is Japan. I don't know if that's still the case. Japan, the you better stop playing. Better step up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would I I would probably hear all. Actually, why not? I, I give me a hot second and I'll I'll pull it up and I'll see what's the. It's a hot uh, second. One is that a. <laughs> How reliable? How reliable are those analytics? I mean, you know, you're not I getting mean, botted or I, anything, are you? There's, there's no way to say they could be, <laughs> you know, completely full of shit. I, I, but I have, I have to trust them. Okay. So, let's see our top three. So, U.S. of course, uh, the United Kingdom is is second. Singapore is third. Japan is fourth. Russia is fifth. Spain is sixth, and Germany is seventh. So. There you go. Come on, folks. Yeah. Do better. I think that just shows how much of the world speaks a second language and how much we as Americans do not. Sorry. A lot of of English speakers out there. I I mean, maybe they're listening to the podcast and they don't speak English. Who knows? That'd be pretty cool. It's just (laughs) on the background. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Just our voices is calming enough. It's someone just putting it on to drown out the sound of them crying alone. Yeah. <laughs> Been there. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, thanks again for the the question, Mandy. Uh, always feel free to reach out in whatever way. And yeah, well, again, the film butts podcast at gmail.com is where you can reach us at. So don't hesitate. Send a message now. <laughs> so, all right. Well, I guess we can end off with our picks of the week what you what you guys been watching anything jacob you want to take it (laughs) well it's funny what paul said earlier about watching mank and citizen kane together and how that's four hours of your day because the other day uh two two days ago i i woke up at like five in the morning Hmm. um just it's too bad because and uh, i was sitting there and i was like you know what i don't have a lot of work to do today not really going anywhere. I was like, what do I want to do today? And I just got this wild urge. And I was like, I want to watch Lord of the Rings. I was like, you know what? I've never actually seen the extended versions of these movies. Oh. So I got my friend to download all three of them on his media server. And I, uh, and I went for it. And sometime wow. around 6 p.m. I was done. And the be- all the better for it. Yes. I, had a good, I had a good time. You're a better man. <laughs> so, so that's that's what I was doing on uh, 
Monday. W- which is uh, your favorite? <sighs> I don't know. I feel like I don't know. I feel like I'd have to say Return of the King. Um, but I enjoyed the fellowship of the ring a lot more because the last time I watched any of these movies was when I was like 10 and I was like, man, these are boring because <laughs> I was just a completely different person back then. Yeah. And then I, uh, you know, I watching them all now as an adult with all of this film analysis background and film history background and knowing what I know now about like Peter Jackson and the Lord of the Rings and everything and having read them now, you know, it's, um, it was a much different experience. It was a very enjoyable experience. You know, I was like, wow, these are like masterfully made movies that are not boring at all. You know, I'm, I'm clinging on to every word. I'm Mm. enjoying every scene and I'm enjoying the acting and the world building. And, um, there's much different experience from watching them on my DVD player at 10 years old, probably half paying attention and being like, you know, I'd rather be playing Xbox or something. I don't know. Sure. So yeah, wouldn't we all? It was um, and yeah, I'm I'm really good at just sitting and consuming content for hours on end. Know a what lot of we people. Love about you. I think a lot of people think that if a director is going to make a movie more than like an hour and thirty minutes, that they should be sentenced to death or something. But uh, you know, I watched yeah. all all three of those like three and a half hour movies. You know, and I'm. I watched The Irishman in a single sitting too. It just doesn't bother me. <laughs> I'm jealous, <laughs> Jacob. It's a, it's a gift few have. Who, who's your Who's your favorite character? You know, I, I feel like I thought uh, I thought Legolas was super lame when I was a kid. But it's again, again, it really turned it really turned around watching these the other day, and I was like, you know what? He's he's a, a pretty cool guy. The 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 Pretty shield cool surfing in two towers. Yeah. I mean, the guy rocks. <laughs> Paul, who's your so, favorite character? <laughs> uh, Samwise. Okay, heart and soul, the whole thing. Frodo's a oh, fucking little idiot. Um, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. He's like the Harry Potter, you know. No, Harry no, 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 no. Also a huge idiot. No, Harry Potter actually did a few things useful. Frodo was fucking useless <laughs> until the fucking end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jacob, any any other viewings for you since we saw um, you last? That pretty much ate up everything. I watched Krampus again, classic Christmas slash Halloween movie, Michael yeah. Dougherty. So you know, I enjoyed that. It's like my fourth year in a row or something viewing that movie. Other than that, no, I don't think. I don't think I really watched anything. I think I watched, I probably watched like the Queen's Gambit a second time with my sister. I think that happened in the period since I last spoke to you, but yeah. So cool. Paul, what about you, man? Okay. So I, I watched the re-edit of the Godfather part three, the Godfather coda, the death of Michael Corleone. I had never seen the third Godfather at all. You know, because everyone was like, the first two were the best. So I was like, okay. You know, years ago when I first watched them, I just watched the first two and I I left it at that. I moved on. And so I decided to watch this re-edit without having any experience with The Godfather 3 before. Uh, and I liked it. You know, is it necessary? No. Does it really do anything that, like, The Godfather 1 and 2 don't do? No. But it's it wraps up the story in a, in a fine enough way. I think that 
if this is his final version of what the film was supposed to be, then, then it's, it's good. You know, um, I'll have to go back and watch the other version to, to give an opinion, I guess, on, on how they stack up against each other. But I really liked it. And, uh, if you have seen The Godfather 3 and you hate it, I don't know. Maybe it's worth a watch for you. Because also just some time away from things can make you feel differently about them as well. And in a world where third films shit the bed always, <laughs> you yes. know. Except also, Citizen Kane, if you haven't watched it, go and watched it. Uh, it's, it's, you know, one of the same writers as The Wizard of Oz. It has some of the most modern filmmaking techniques of any film made at that time. It's about 20 years ahead of its time. It has overlapping dialogue. It has long takes. It has advanced light design. Uh, and it was actually shot on a budget that most people don't realize was under a million dollars. Uh, it was a pretty cheap film. And it's a remarkable bit of cinema history that if you haven't seen, it will enlighten you on how we got here. Okay, Professor Adams. <laughs> <laughs> oh, holy shit. Sorry. Uh, spoiler, spoiler thing. By the way, random thing. Did anyone else fucking love and mank that Bill Nye the Science Guy was Upton fucking Sinclair? Oh, I don't think... I don't think I noticed. I don't think I noticed either. <laughs> okay. Bill Nye the Science Guy is Upton Sinclair, notorious uh, journalist who wrote The Jungle all about the horrid meatpacking conditions that yeah. then ran for office. If you if you notice, the first thing that triggered me was the voice, because you just see him like sort of three-quarter profile, and then you finally oh, yeah. see him in profile. So there's a little... There's a little Bill Nye the Science Guy cameo. If you haven't seen Mank and you're listening to this, I don't know what you came here for. Honestly, yes. that's a weird pick. <laughs> this is an after-the-movie podcast for sure. You don't watch this before. I don't know why you would. They're desperate. But, but yeah, Bill Nye the Science Guy. Sorry, I got that was a, no. a total random outburst, but yeah. Yeah. Go and watch Citizen Kane. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, any other uh, uh, mentions for you? watches no i think that's pretty much it how right, about you henry uh, how do you, how, what have you been watching i got a couple things i'll i'll mention i rewatched child 44 with tom hardy gary oldman and numi rapace mm. and uh we were talking about favorite actors uh the other week and and tom hardy and numi rapace are two two for me and this is a movie based off a I think it's a, a a series of novels and it takes place in the Soviet Union and it's uh, about this string of child murders and Tom Hardy is a military officer who is tasked with finding this the, the killer and I I love you know mid 20th century pieces and so that's what drew me to the movie and I like the movie. I want to like it more than I do. I think the biggest issue with it is the direction is just kind of sloppy. There's a lot of plot and it's not handled all that well. But I think the the setting and considering the amount of like Hollywood money put into a, a kind of a weird one off movie like this is kind of interesting on its own. But it's it's still a cool movie, and it's uh, you know I really like Tom Hardy, and I I, I really like Numir Paz and Gary Oldman. I mean he's always great. And I, I think the reason for rewatching it is I'm listening to a biography audiobook of Stalin, which is fairly interesting. And I I only have let's see, maybe 38 hours left of part one. So you know I'm wow. coming close to the end. 
<laughs> uh, but no, that how that, many parts a, is it? There's two parts. Oh, at least I, it's I, just two. Yes. <laughs> uh, still, you know, I have, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> about 60 hours left here. I think, I think the book itself is like 1100 pages. So it's fairly long, but so it's this, a, and, this whole audio book you're telling me is, is about as much time as it took for that one guy to cut off his arm in that Canyon. Yes. Okay. Yes. James Franco. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it is. But no, that's, that's an interesting read. And so if you, if you like mysteries and if you like those actors, I would, I would give it a look at some point, you know, it, it's worth watching and it has gone up a little bit on rewatch at like once you get a more handle on the plot, it flows a little bit better. And then I'll, I'll say, uh, I'll pull a, a Paul here. I, I've been playing a, a video game called unravel yeah i've played unravel yeah 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 uh and it's this like puzzle platform game i guess you can call it and it's this creature made of yarn and it's just kind of you accomplishing objectives and you know kind of going across the landscape and just solving different puzzles and and all that stuff and i'm actually going to be talking to the composers uh in january because the score is amazing have you noticed the narrative happening in the background perhaps i mean I've, i've I've only played a little bit, little bit of it so far. Okay, there's like a loose narrative that's happening in the background of both Unravel and Unravel Two. Hmm. What's the, what's the 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 narrative? Well, now you got to go and play it and find yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. And um, and listeners can tune in next week to find out more. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, a little teaser there. Yeah. But no, the the game is really fun. It's just it's a very calming, relaxing game, and you know I I love the music and it's yeah it's a really it's one of those games that's kind of under the radar and it's just quiet and peaceful. And it's just a, a cool little escapist game to play, especially with, you know, the world that we're in right now. Yeah. And let's see, that might be about it. I it's think. amazing that it came for a multi-year winning in a row. Worst company in America. E- yes. EA. <laughs> yeah. Hey man, <laughs> something, uh, yeah, I guess something I found to be a little bit darkly, humorous i guess i uh, wanted to share about my lord of the rings watch was um so they were they're downloaded as i said onto my friend's media server which also includes like it, it adds a bunch of sort of other flavor information in like it has a bunch of reviews that were written at the time of release it's so a fellowship of the ring was released in 2001 of course december 2001 so three months after 9 11 and there was a uh review in there from some small magazine it wasn't anything big or whatever. And they were just like, e- even if Fellowship of the Ring doesn't manage to save what is otherwise a disastrous year, at least we have another one to look forward to next year. And I can only imagine that was in reference to 9-11. I was like, I think this this man was suggesting that the Fellowship of the Ring might repair the damage that 9-11 has done to our country. Well, at least it worked so. for him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At least it made him feel better about 9/11. Yes. <laughs> no, the like I mean th- those movies for me like those were like my Star Wars. You know, those were the ones that I that first impacted me as in terms of like movies being more than just, you know, entertainment and so I I don't know if they I don't know if they saved I feel like they saved the country or they repaired the country, <laughs> but they they sure did yeah. a lot for me personally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, I guess there's something to be said for, like, you know, something coming out at that time that can be entertainment and rally everyone to a common 
Oh yeah. Enjoy enjoyment or whatever. So totally. Yeah. Well, uh, all right. Well, I mean, guys, I know we're, I know we're vibing right now. I mean, we could, is there anything else y'all want to, <laughs> y'all want to talk right about? Now. I mean, I, uh, you know, it, it's, Paul, it's up to y'all. No, nah, I think that, uh, I think that I'm all right. I mean, I'm okay. I'm fried. I read a whole chapter on Citizen Kane today. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll knock you out for a week. It will. Yeah. Paul, Put me off reading you, for a little while. Are you or are you not a fan of the MCU? Can't me? Yeah, you. Oh, oh, huge. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> a, a, oh, good. A man of taste. <laughs> I had a, he, a heated argument with a friend of mine earlier who I've, I've known for years that he hates it, but I was, you know, we get in arguments still. And, um, yeah, he thinks like the worst thing to happen to cinema, which of course many people share that opinion, but I, I sort of had to stand my ground and defend my opinion that I actually think they're worthwhile and have some very emotional themes and good story telling, but you have to actually allow yourself to be in the headspace to realize that and not go in with all this negativity, you know, but I, it's, I could go on and on. So no, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, just as a little random quick story, you know, my dad recently rewatched one of the Marvel films and he was like, wow, there's so much going on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah. I have to, uh, all right. See you, Jacob. All right. There he goes. You know what? No, that's the perfect spot. Jacob's done. He's out. <laughs> uh, I have to show, I have to show this to Paul. Oh, that's ah, right. there it is. Nice. Yeah, Jacob has the, uh, the whole series. Yeah. That's awesome. $600 going for about 4,000 on eBay now. Was that, was that a pre pandemic purchase, Jacob? Was that, was that? Yes. Yeah. But yeah, it's, um, it's, you know, in another 10 years, I can get, Whatever saga is next. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, we'll keep you updated on that one. Well, uh, yeah, I, I guess that that about does it for the show this week. Uh, now, next week, I know Tenet is out, uh, but I think it's it might just be only available for purchase. But you know, I'm you know if y'all want to do that for next, I'll week, fucking we'll, buy know, it. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, so we you know that I'm I'm down for that next week, Jacob. You know. Uh, if you are that that would be great uh i know friend of the show sky who we all went to to school with has has expressed interest he just watched Uh, it i did yeah 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 i saw that he he reviewed it he's always putting out reviews that guy uh facebook um, reviews his facebook reviews yeah (laughs) iconic iconic stuff and so yeah you know maybe look for that next week you know we'll and just stay updated on on social media and the filmbuds.com that's where you can find out all that great stuff and yeah well guys i mean it's great to see you thanks so much for taking the time it's always it's always nice yeah always yeah all right well yeah uh, everybody please stay safe you know we, we hope you have a nice holiday season you know be be smart you know be safe and uh yeah rock on so uh we'll uh we'll see you next time have a good one guys
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.